Welcome to the Sunday Message Podcast of Bethany Church in Fresno, California. We hope this message will encourage and equip you as you grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. If today's message helps you, share it with a friend. If you would like to know more about the ministry of Bethany Church, please reach out on Facebook or at BethanyChurchFresno.com. And now, here's this week's message. All right, here we go. Yeah, if you've got a Bible with you, I invite you to find Acts uh, 22 as we continue in our message series. Actually, we're going to wrap up our message series today called Good News Now, and we're going to call this one Something About a Dead Guy. Something About a Dead Guy. All right, you ready for this? Um, the last several chapters of the book of Acts are mostly about the Apostle Paul and his return to Jerusalem. We get his arrest after his third missionary journey. He returns to Jerusalem. He's bringing a financial gift to help the the believers in Jerusalem who are going through a very difficult time. And uh, then he's arrested there. He's held in custody. Uh, We get the account of his near fatal trip back to Rome. He's in custody and suffers a, a pretty horrendous shipwreck. And so the, that's kind of what the last several chapters of Luke are really about. But what we're seeing is a shift in Paul's life from being a, a church planter, going from city to city, establishing churches and moving on, establishing new works in each place, to now much more of an influencer and more of an ambassador for the gospel. He's going to move in these last years into more of his letter writing, which is the New Testament. So it's, a, it's kind of a deepening, narrowing and deepening of his, of his ministry. And in this season, in these chapters, uh, Paul will have the opportunity to preach to powerful figures in government, powerful figures in, in military, and, um, uh, and yet throughout that his message is unchanging, that there is eternal hope through Christ alone, that there's eternal hope only through Jesus. Now, you might read through a book of Acts and think, well, it's great narrative. It's, it's kind of interesting to read, a kind of history, but you wonder if there's any instruction for me. Like, is there anything for us to grab hold of? Um, it's a narrative report, and so is there anything to do from that? And uh, I, I would say there is. Don't just stop and say, well, that's good for them, but there's nothing for me. There are a lot of good things um, that we can do for the world, right, as believers, uh, we're called to serve those around us. You just heard a great testimony about that. We're, we're the Jesus followers are the people who are to love our neighbor and to forgive our enemy. Uh, we want to be the salt of the earth. We want to be the light of the world. All those things that Jesus said we actually are. Your life of faith in Jesus ought to make you an attractive person to the world around you. But... We're not just here to be nice. Jesus didn't save you so you could be a nice person. Our priority is still to make the good news of Jesus Christ known to the whole world. So whether or not that message is popular, the mission hasn't changed all the way back to the time of Paul. So as we wrap up, today's our last Sunday in Luke and Acts, we're going to learn from Paul how to faithfully speak the truth of the good news of Jesus into the lives of the other of others around us. And so I'm going to start with Acts chapter 22, beginning at verse 1. I'm going to read you 16 verses. We're going to look at a couple different passages today. Acts 22, beginning at verse 1. The Apostle Paul has just been arrested. He's in Jerusalem 
and uh, he was all about to be, um, you know, really in trouble. And then he he tells the the arresting officer, hey, by the way, I'm a Roman citizen and, um, you know, I actually have rights and I'm going to exercise my rights as a citizen. And and then he asks for the opportunity to speak to these uh, gathered people, this kind of mob in Jerusalem. And he begins this way, brothers and esteemed fathers, Paul said, listen to me as I offer my defense. And when they heard him speaking their own language, the silence was greater. And Paul said, I, I'm a Jew. I born in Tarsus, a city in Cilicia. That today would be southern Turkey. And I was brought up and educated here in Jerusalem under Gamaliel. As his student, I was carefully trained in our Jewish laws and customs. I became very zealous to honor God in everything I did, just like all of you today. And I persecuted the followers of the way, hounding some to death, arresting both men and women and throwing them into prison. The high priest and the whole council of elders can testify that this is so. For I received letters from them to our Jewish brothers in Damascus authorizing me to bring the Christians from there to Jerusalem in chains to be punished. So Paul's kind of setting up his his pedigree. I mean, his kind of status as a, as a fervent Jew. Verse 6, as I was on the road approaching Damascus about noon, a very bright light from heaven suddenly shone down around me, around me. I fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? I asked. And the voice replied, I am Jesus the Nazarene, the one you are persecuting. The people with me saw the light but didn't understand the voice speaking to me. And I asked, what should I do, Lord? And the Lord told me, get up and go to Damascus and there you will be told everything you are to do. Verse 11, I was blinded by the intense light and had to be led by the hand to Damascus by my companions. A man named Ananias lived there and he was a godly man, deeply devoted to the law and well regarded by all the Jews of Damascus. He came and stood beside me and said, Brother Saul, regain your sight. And at that very moment, I could see him. And then he told me, the God of our ancestors has chosen you to know his will and to see the righteous one and hear him speak. For you are to be his witness, telling everyone what you've seen and heard. And what are you waiting for? Get up and be baptized. Have your sins washed away by calling on the name of the Lord. Paul, from there, um, kind of tells a little bit more of his story. And and then it um, the crowd just goes crazy and they just they don't want to hear it. And uh, he gets taken then into full custody. But I think the first thing to pick up from Paul, if we're going to make the good news known, is this. That you've got to get comfortable telling your own story. You have to get comfortable telling your own story. Here, again in chapter 26, a little bit in chapter 24, Paul speaks the gospel beginning with his own story, or sometimes what we call a testimony. Now, in the earlier chapters of Acts, we really don't have Paul... Re- telling, at least recorded, it's not really recorded much that he's telling his own testimony. He was a powerhouse uh, preacher, a master of doctrine, right? He's just on the road. He's going from church to church. He's very active getting things done. But now in these last years of his life, he's going to lose most of his freedom of movement. In fact, all of it. Uh, he, he shifted to a much more personal style of ministry. And in doing so, we see how comfortable he becomes in telling his own story. I wonder if you and I could do that. I mean, if someone puts you on the spot, could you tell them why you have hope? Could you explain why you're not afraid of dying? Why you're not afraid of a pandemic? 
Right? Could you explain why you live in freedom and not under condemnation? Could you tell someone else how to put, well, how you put your faith in Christ and how they could do that as well? The power of the gospel is in the personal story of the believer. It's not only doctrine, which obviously it is, and it's not only the Bible, which the Bible is authoritative for our life. That's our guide and our instruction. The power of the message is that it moves us personally, that you as a person, as an individual, that you were moved from death to life. You've got to be able to tell your story. If we're going to be people who turn the world around, we've got to get comfortable with that. Briefly, if need be, to the point, always. And every time, glorifying God and not glorifying ourselves. Not drawing attention to our own behavior, but drawing attention to what God has done through Christ. Tell your story. And I'm not saying that it's always easy to tell your story. It's often not, in fact. But you have to tell it, and you tell it graciously, regardless of who's listening. Because uh, Paul demonstrates that to us too. One of the audiences that, that Paul encountered was um, was a guy named King Agrippa and his sister Bernice. Now, Acts 25 recounts the episode of Agrippa and Bernice arriving in Caesarea. Remember, we talked about Caesarea a few weeks back. It's the kind of establishes the capital for that region. It's a very, you know, a totally Roman city. It's on the coast um, of the Mediterranean. It's a beautiful spot, right? And they arrive in Caesarea where Governor uh, Festus uh, hosts them and then he introduces them to Paul. And so I'm going to read to you a little bit Acts chapter 25 now. Move over to Acts chapter 25. And at verse, uh, we're going to pick it up at verse 22. So Agrippa and Bernice have arrived. They're hanging out with Festus. And Festus is telling him, hey, I've got this guy. I don't really know what to do with him. He's a prisoner. He was left for me by Felix, the previous governor. And I, I need some help figuring out what am I going to do with this guy? I, I, I don't really understand it. And so verse 22 of Acts 25, verse 22, I'd like to hear the man myself, Agrippa said. And Festus replied, you will tomorrow. So the next day, Agrippa and Bernice arrived at the auditorium with great pomp, accompanied by the military officers and prominent men of the city. Festus ordered that Paul be brought in. And then Festus said, King Agrippa and all who are here, this is the man whose death is demanded by all the Jews, both here and in Jerusalem. And jump a few verses ahead to chapter 26. Chapter 26, verse 1, that Agrippa said to Paul, you may speak in your defense. So Paul, gesturing with his hand, started his defense. You know, he's, he's an orator. He knows how to kind of use the movements and he's out there, right? Uh, he, he says, I am fortunate, King Agrippa, that you are the one hearing my defense today against all these accusations made by the Jewish leaders, for I know you are an expert. By, um, you are an expert on all Jewish customs and controversies. Now listen to me patiently. As the Jewish leaders are well aware, I was given a thorough Jewish training from my earliest childhood among my own people and in Jerusalem. And if they would admit it, they know that I have been a member of the Pharisees, the strictest sect of our religion. Now I am on trial because of my hope in the fulfillment of God's promise made to our ancestors. In fact, that's why the 12 tribes of Israel zealously worship God night and day. Um, and they share the same hope that I have. Yet, Your Majesty, they accuse me for having this hope. Why does it seem incredible to any of you that God can raise the dead? 
And then Paul goes on and again tells the story of, of encountering Jesus on the road to Damascus. He shares his testimony once again. All right, so why am I kind of making this point about, about these guys? King Agrippa, great-grandson of Herod. Herod, the same guy who killed all the babies after the birth of Jesus in Bethlehem. So that's his kind of line of, of descent, right? He shows up here with his sister. Okay, well, you think that's fine, so they're kind of working together, but it's a really icky couple. I just got to tell, these are these are not nice people. And I can explain. Agrippa grew up in Rome in the courts of the Caesar amidst all the crazy violence and immorality of that time and that place. He was appointed king of the sort of northern region of of Israel under under Rome. Um, his sister, Bernice, or sometimes translated Veronica, it's the same, it's the same name, uh, had been married to their uncle who died young. So after that, she went to live with her brother and it was pretty widely understood that it was an incestuous relationship. Then she's remarried to another king and then she's back to her brother. Then she's the mistress of Emperor Titus, and then she's back to her brother. Um, my point is that for a righteous Jewish man like Paul, coming to face with face to face with a deeply immoral, godless couple or pair, I should say, like Agrippa and Bernice, it would be easy for him to just show disgust and disdain, and not even give them any care whatsoever. But instead, he willingly and eagerly and kindly shared his story and good news of truth. So here's what Paul teaches us about how we tell our own story. It's this. You tell it straight and graciously. That's truth and love. You tell it straight and graciously, no matter who the audience is. Paul didn't dress up his story. He didn't make it anything other than what it was. Paul, you know, often called himself, or we have record of Paul calling himself the worst of sinners or the chief of sinners. He was honest about his life before Christ. And as crazy as his conversion sounded, he didn't edit it for popularity to make it sound like more palatable. He just told the straight truth about himself and about the truth of the gospel. But he did it with kindness even to someone that he would have been deeply offended by. You might say, well, I don't have really have a story to tell. Um, so, you know, this doesn't really apply to me. You do have a story to tell. And God continues to lead you through experiences even today that are building your story, so to speak, more and more. And it's going to be to his glory. God's doing that work in you now. So you have that story to tell. Every person needs to know God. Every person is loved by God. Every person needs to know that Jesus died for the sin of everyone. This includes that person you find repulsive. That person who, well, they're just too worldly or they're just too religious, right? Or they're arrogant or they're obnoxious or you know, I confess, sometimes I'll look at a person and think, that person will never come to Christ. That's impossible. That could never happen. Right? I have to check my own heart. I've got to stop right there. 
and, and repent of my own pride. And remember, if Jesus can save me, or what Amazing Grace says, if Jesus could save a wretch like me, He can actually deal with anybody. And so be ready to tell your story at any time. And when you do, tell it like it is, but tell it graciously, no matter who is listening, because you never know when that good news is going to click for someone that really needs it. Lastly, we've got to get to the heart of the message if we're going to tell our story, even though it may sound crazy to some people, right? Finally, look one more passage. Look, look with me at Acts 25. We're going to go back one chapter of 25, verse um, 17 through 21. Um, this is actually, uh, uh, Festus is speaking here um, to Agrippa and to Bernice. And he says, when Paul's accusers came here for the trial, I didn't delay. I called the case the very next day and ordered Paul and brought in. But the accusations made against him weren't any of the crimes I expected. Instead, it was something about their religion and a dead man named Jesus who Paul insists is alive. I was at a loss to know how to investigate these things, so I asked him whether he would be willing to stand trial on these charges in Jerusalem. But Paul appealed to have his case decided by the emperor. So I ordered that he be held in custody until I could arrange to send him to Caesar. Look, verse 19. It was something about their religion and a dead man named Jesus who Paul insists is alive. That's what the controversy in Jerusalem was all about. That's what was getting Paul in trouble, that he was talking about a dead guy who's alive. Why is that so threatening? I mean, couldn't you just, couldn't they just write Paul off as like, he's just a weirdo. He's talking about a dead guy who's alive. Whatever. Just ignore him. Because if you can't ignore that, that's the heart of the good news. That's the message is that God sent his son, Jesus, raised him to life. And now you have to make a decision. You have to confront that in your own heart. You gotta know that the good news is about a living dead guy. That's the good news. It's about a living dead guy. The core of the gospel is simply this, that Jesus, right, the Son of God, died for your sins. He was raised back to life so that you could have eternal life. That's the heart and core of the gospel. It's about a living dead guy. You think, oh, I don't know. I don't know if I really want to talk about that. Well, that's what it is. There are plenty of things the gospel isn't. The gospel isn't a self-improvement program. The gospel is not a, you know, a morality reformation program. We're not just trying to make good moral robots. The gospel is not a try harder religion. The gospel is not a family tradition. Well, I'm a Christian because my parents were and my grandparents were. The gospel is not a free pass for anyone who just has the right jargon, who can say the right words and, and, and doesn't matter how they're living, but they can say the words. The gospel is the good news about, as even Festus, this Pagan put it, a dead man who we insist is alive. And and the, the reality is then you have to live your life in response. You either reject that or you follow that and your life changes. And anyone can find new life in Christ. And there is a little subtle mistake that can creep in to our sharing of the gospel 
in our desire to make faith accessible and understandable and relatable, we may risk making it a feel-good experience. Just come to Jesus and you'll feel better. And, and all, kind of most of your problems are going to be taken care of. And you just, you know, we, we risk making it uh, something where we downplay the severity of sin or the necessity of repentance and surrender. We just like, just come as you are and stay that way. No, come as you are, but yield your life to Jesus so he can begin that work of transformation, right? We risk making it a religion or make it about the habit of just coming to church rather than about following Jesus and whatever he says. Last week, we those of you uh, who weren't able to join us last week, we focused on the International Day of Prayer for the Persecuted Church. And uh, we made, you know, these little magazines available to you. I've got a big stack of them. If you're, if you'd like to grab one, I would just, if you didn't get one last week, please grab one and just read some stories in there about people who are counting the cost of what it means to follow Jesus, no matter what, telling their story in dangerous places. Um, but one of the things we, Becky and I were talking about this week, and she, she was making the point to me that, you know, when you read this stuff, they're praying for courage and they're praying for boldness. Our prayer in America is mostly prayer for safety and kind of take care of me, Lord. They're praying for fruitfulness and faithfulness. So we do not want to be those believers who abandon Scripture just to make Jesus palatable. That happens in believers. It happens in whole churches say, well, that part's uncomfortable, so we're just going to ditch that and just stick to the nice, cozy parts. The gospel is hard for some to accept. It causes some to stumble. The Bible tells us that. It causes some to be offended. 1 Corinthians one twenty three says that Paul's writing, he says, when we preach that Christ was crucified, the Jews are offended and the Gentiles say it's all nonsense. Paul's like, I, I can't win for trying. Yes, God loves all people. And yes, Jesus died for all people. And yes, God wants all people to be saved. That's a clear gospel message, but there's a catch. You have to yield your life to Christ. The Bible uses words like repent and believe and sacrifice and dying to yourself. That's what it means to follow Jesus. And and that means that not everyone will be saved. Not everyone will be saved. Even those who use all the right language and appear to be very nice and religious. Because not everyone was willing to humble themselves and follow Jesus in repentance. Again, 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Paul says it this way. Our lives are a Christ-like fragrance rising up to God. But this fragrance is perceived differently by those who are saved and those who are perishing. Those who are To those who are perishing, we are a dreadful smell of death and doom. But to those who are being saved, we're a life-giving perfume. Some people don't want to hear it. Your message stinks to them because they're dying. They don't smell it correctly. But we keep sharing the good news. It's a simple message that there is a God and that He sent His Son to die as an atonement for your sin, that He raised His Son to life again so that death would be defeated forever. And while all that may sound wild and crazy, it's the only news that can transform a life. There is no other religious message that can transform a life. 
There is no other religious message that can transform a life because in every other religious message, it depends on you trying harder, you know, working harder, going for it, spending more, punishing yourself more. It's only in Christ that we receive new life and live out of response to that, abandoning our old ways so we can know him and follow him no matter what. So I'm just telling you, don't be ashamed of that simple, straightforward, puzzling truth that it's really about a dead guy who is now alive. And once you come to Jesus, determined to share your story easily, directly, and graciously. Let's pray. God, I'm really grateful that Paul's life and ministry is preserved in your word. And then we get to live vicariously through that. And God, how often I've held back from speaking the truth because I didn't want to be offensive or I've held back from speaking the truth because I was proud and didn't think it was necessary. God, we want to be people who believe your simple truth, who share it graciously, and then who live a life accordingly. God, we're inviting you to do that in our own lives, in our life of our church, the life of our homes and families. Lord, we never want to be ashamed of the gospel because it is the power to transform a life. We thank you for that. God, we thank you for continuing to challenge us in your word. We thank you for the hope that you're giving us. Lord, in a time when we're facing plenty of stressful things, plenty of troubling times, we thank you that your goodness has not changed, your good news has not changed, your calling on our lives has not changed. We praise you for that. God, I pray in this coming week that you would direct us accordingly, that you give us opportunities to share the story simply and graciously and never to hold back from telling what's true. We love you, Lord, and we thank you for your great love for us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Thanks for listening. Know that God loves you more than you can imagine. And for everything Bethany Church, check out BethanyChurchFresno.com.